Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is on an adventure, and that guy is doing something interesting. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, yeah, you caught me. Sorry. You know how Zoom calls are. We're, We're recording remotely today, and one of the funniest things for... Any of our fellow conspiracy realists who have been, you know, meeting on video platforms, I strongly suspect that the majority of people on those calls are kind of staring at their own thumbnail of their face and like self-adjusting. Mm. But but I want everyone to know my ride or die, Matt Frederick here, is that this guy pays attention. <laughs> And, well, and like, <laughs> to be fair, I was looking at myself and I caught you out of the corner of my eye. But, you know, OK, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, OK, I believe it. I believe it. But uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is a pretty uh, wild day for us. Wild week, really, here in Atlanta and with all the stuff that's happening, of course, uh, the our fa- our mutual favorite time of day is when we can get together and record this show. And this is one of our favorite segments because listener mail is where uh, you can speak directly to uh, your fellow listeners. And we've got some we've got some strange stuff here today, Matt. And I'm really trying not to derail us with banter. I mean, we're going to Turkey. We're learning uh, some very strange stuff about a university that will be familiar to a lot of people. But also, you know what I was thinking of recently, man, for the first time in a while? Do, do you remember the Grinch? He, you're a mean one. one. That one? Mr. Grinch. Yeah. yeah. That song is amazing. Mm, yeah, like, it is. I, I was thinking about how well-written and beautiful and brutal and weirdly specific <laughs> the insults are. And I was like, man, if someone – like if a stranger – just because strangers talk to each other all the time in Atlanta, we usually are going to ask for money or say some kind of wholesome compliment. But I was just thinking, you know, I was walking um, into the office today and I, I was like, if a stranger came up to me and was like, hey, you've got garlic in your soul, 
it would like wreck me, right? Like, what does that mean? I wouldn't touch you (laughs) with a 39 and a half half foot foot pole. (laughs) Right. If someone just said that to you, I don't know. I'm really into weirdly specific insults. And that, that, like, that's someone saying that to you is the kind of thing that would make you finally go to therapy. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) For sure. Man, I want to talk to you, but you just got garlic in your soul. Right, right. And then uh, what happened? Um, <laughs> well, doctor, she left. <laughs> and that was that. And now I'm, you know, I'm just here trying to add more things to my soul to, you know, really mm-hmm. even out, thin that garlic out. Uh, young little oregano. <laughs> yeah, you tell me. <laughs> Some rosemary, that goes well. Uh, this is going to be the worst segue of um, <laughs> oh, no. this year. Now, let's see if we could do it. So, so that's what listener mail is. We're taking these <laughs> different ingredients from around the world and stories from around the world, and we're we're putting um, Matt help me out here. What are we're we incorporating doing? it with the garlic in our soul, and it becomes something way more pleasant. Mm. Yeah, there it is. And this is a vampire friendly show. Mm-hmm. So, so don't worry. We'll keep the keep the garlic in your soul, not in your ears or your bloodstream. But there, yeah, we uh, have a specific message written to any and all vampiric creatures that it says, "Come on in." Like you don't need our permission. Come right on in. Mm-hmm. And in all the years that we've been doing this version of this show, uh, we have never had anything but great results with that. You know? I know it's surprising. <laughs> You'd think there would be more bites. I mean, just. On principle, uh, sure. but honestly, it's really more about philosophical discussion with with a lot of vampires. I've noticed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it feels like they have a lot of time to think. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Maybe more than we do. Uh, <laughs> are they always plugged into the zeitgeist? <laughs> nah. Fashion sense maybe a little anachronistic, but they're good people. Oh, I know, especially especially vampires from New Zealand. I find them to have the best sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed, and the critics agree as well. Uh, so that's what that's what we're doing in a vampire friendly way. We're combining these weird <laughs> ingredients that you uh, that you have offered not not just us, but more importantly to your fellow listeners. And Matt, at this point, I'm wondering. Well, we have one story that's more an historical mystery, and then mm. we have one story that has clear and present consequences in the modern world. Maybe we start with the historical aspect and then go to the modern mystery. What do you think? I like it. Linear time? Let's do it. Linear time. I've, I've heard of it. I think it's overrated, but it's perfect for this show. And, uh, oh, man. I, you know, I, I wonder if we're going to get emails about that weird beginning. Again, it's just been a weird week. Listen, off mic, everybody, Ben showed up today and said, Matt, I've got the banter. And I said, oh, I'm excited for it. Let's do it. And he just, he did not let anyone down. <laughs> it's too, it's been on my mind. I don't know why. I've just, I like I was reading and parsing the lyrics. I learned about the people who wrote the lyrics. It, it's a whole thing. But also, you're too kind, Matt, because I did say, if you'll recall, useless banter. <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to put that on the front. Well, I think it was great. Well, you that's there's a reason why we are close friends, and it is that you enable me in both my crippling <laughs> ether addiction and <laughs> my useless banner. We're keeping the ether thing. Yeah, oh, call back, keeping, man. We're keeping the ether callback. So uh here is our first correspondence from today. It is from Paul, not Paul Mission Control, another Paul. And here's what you said, Paul. You said, Hi, my name is Paul. Redacted. That's just us redacting it. Uh, and yes, you can use my name on your podcast should you choose to do so. Now on to it. I like your spirit, Paul. Uh, I am a fan of alternative histories that are ignored because they defy paradigms, even though solid evidence exists. I have several, but I will start with one so I don't waste both of our times if this type of thing does not fall into your parameters. 
Gobekli Tepish is an archaeological site in modern-day Turkey. It pushes man's civilizations back thousands of years earlier than currently believed. It is a megalithic site that has only been excavated about 5%. It appears that this vast complex was intentionally filled in and buried after it was done being used and is enigmatic to the extreme. I hope you at least look into it. I love your podcast, though I am a new listener and new to podcasts in general. And we'll stop there. Uh, Paul, you ended it with uh, stay curious. And that mm. is a great way to end the letter. Now, this, Matt, I think this speaks to both of us, huh? It's really talking our language there, Paul. Um, I would say I learned the vast majority of my understanding about what I heard. I don't know why. When it was said, Gobleki Tepe, I don't know why. That's what I heard when I listened to Daniken pronounce it on uh, Ancient Aliens. I think that was the first time I ever heard it. But it's, you're right, it's Gobekli, Gobekli Tepish? Yeah, I am also not a native uh, speaker of Turkish. Uh, Got I, it. I've heard it pronounced Tepish almost like with that soft at the end. Got it. Uh, that may be just the accents or the regional dialects of the people I was listening to. Like I said, for me, it was all Danikin. So it was in his uh, interesting accent there. And I think he, <laughs> he always, <laughs> the way, however he said it, etched itself into my mind. And now I can only hear him say it. But yeah, th this place is fascinating. And it does seem, it does seem to have some unbelievable stuff going on. When it comes to fitting it within, you know, the historical timeline of, of when it was created, what it was used for, uh, who created it and everything like that. Um, but let's let's jump into it, Ben. What have you found? So we thought a good way to uh, introduce this before we do a deeper dive, possibly on a, uh, a full episode, is to talk a little bit about what we know about the history of this site, uh, where it's located and why it remains so mysterious, enigmatic, and indeed tantalizing to people in the modern day. Um, armchair experts, professional archaeologists, uh, fringe writers like Eric von Daniken, and the, and the like. So this is incredibly weird. There are people listening to the show today who were alive before the – modern discovery of Gobekli Tepesh. So it was just noted in this survey way back in 1963, but it wasn't until October of 1994 that an archaeologist named Klaus Schmidt uh, started digging into, not an intentional mm -hmm. pun, not an intentional pun, uh, he started re-examining this site, because he was looking at a uh, nearby site, and that's when they discovered something that fundamentally altered our understanding of human civilization. This thing is old. The oldest layer dates back to about 9000 BCE. Uh, it, it is not just anomalous for its age. So human beings of this time are supposed to be doing certain things due to current understanding. They're not really building settlements like this. This site, which is in the foothills of Turkey's Taurus Mountains, is um, it's right at the headwaters of a tributary of the Euphrates. And yeah, it's uh, right there very close to Syria, the border of Syria to the south. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's an artificial mound, which is also known as a tell, which is on a flat plateau built of limestone. It does appear to be a religious site. It contains uh, multiple, like, multiple indications of the construction of megaliths. It also predates Stonehenge by something like 6,000 years. This is not supposed to be here. At this point in time, we've done previous episodes on things that have been considered like uh, anachronistic historical objects, right? Like discoveries of possible batteries in ancient dig sites, things like that. But this thing is the – this is the kind of evidence you cannot ignore. There is a, a, a huge amount, literally tons 
of uh, evidence that human beings were building these kind of structures far before they were thought to be capable of doing so. And we we can talk a little bit about that, like this, the pillars, the pillars, even though they predate Stonehenge by quite a bit, they still got some Stonehenge vibes because they're they're like they weigh between seven and ten tons. Yeah, they do. These are huge stones, sixteen feet high. They're um, and the, the etchings that are on them are really remarkable. If I think some of the biggest questions that come from this area, from this specific place, at that time, how how were those etchings created? How were these stones cut? Because you're talking about you know stone tools, probably probably flint tools. And one of the main reasons is that the stone that's being worked with here is limestone and it is a little easier comparatively to some other stones and rocks that you know have been chiseled away at as we enter in the iron age and you know some of the get closer down our linear timeline here but it does seem like it would have been possible for whoever was there to create these specifically the pillars pretty close by get them up a hill you know, with a lot of effort and then stand them upright. And in some cases actually chip away the limestone deposits themselves that are already existing there in the site. So actually like carve out a thing rather than carve something and take it there. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the other, that's another piece. So according to the official narrative pre, you know, 1990s or so, uh, human beings were in the stage of uh, domestication and agriculture when they started building stuff like this. But from everything they've gathered on this site, it's clear that uh, whomever built this, they were hunter-gatherer groups, meaning they they had not yet domesticated animals, nor had they uh, gone into farming. They were still foraging in the wild and hunting. It's also interesting that it does not appear people lived there. There aren't living quarters. This was a site where people went for specific purposes, and it appears to be a site where things have been torn down and rebuilt on that site multiple times. It's not a super convenient site if you're the average hunter-gatherer. The closest water source is like five clicks away. So... Oh, I love that measurement. <laughs> Five <laughs> yes, kilometers. So, so technically, like you know, logically, we could assume that people that someone in the group would have said, "Do you guys want to build like closer, t- like where we can drink water?" And then someone was like, "No, idiot! Our forefathers built these gigantic stone megaliths. We're going to knock them down. We're going to rebuild them, and we're not." We're not going to spend too much time here. Well, you know, they just have to say, I think the question of the purpose of the site is one of the most fascinating because it, like you said, being far from the water, it does almost feel like it was a site for pilgrimage of some sort or a site that was treated as very special in some way that people would go out to for at some time of year or for some, you know, specific purpose and then would leave. Um, and Ben, did you already talk about how it's been covered up? Like the mound itself seems to be, have been created because there were sculptures dug, there were pillars set up, there were structures created, and then the whole thing was filled up and then stuff was built on it or near it. And then it was filled up again and it was just continued in that fashion. That's a very important point. Cause we know that we, we mentioned that it had been tor- parts have been torn down, rebuilt, but we didn't mention that they had been built atop one another. They hadn't been cleaned out, just destroyed and built over. You're right. And we also, to add to the mystery here, and I'm sure this will speak to a lot of our fellow uh, fiction writers in the crowd. To add to the mystery here, the carvings that are still extant on the pillars are not things like deer or cattle or birds that you would eat. They're the stuff that you would have been scared of or at least alarmed by if you were a hunter-gatherer, lions, spiders, snakes, scorpions, uh, which led uh, which led some scholars to say it's a scary, fantastic world of nasty-looking beast. So why did these people build 
what seems to be a, an intentionally frightening place, right, based on those sculptures. And, and why did they expressly travel to it? I figured That's it out. How, how, what, okay, yeah, what's the scoop? I figured it out. Yeah. This is a training ground for hunters. This is like West Point for hunters Ooh. of this time Did where they would, they'd have to travel out there. They would get educated by, you know, some hunters who've been around the block a couple of times. And, you know, you would get taught about specific spiders that lived in the region or snakes or, you know, predators that would be hunting you while you're hunting for the group. I'm telling you, that's what it is, Ben. It's training ground for elite hunters. Well, uh, I, you know what? I am tempted to agree, and no one else is tempted to agree with you. Klaus Schmidt, in a way. Really? In a way, in a way, you're a little more positive than he is about it. Uh, oh. We will do a full episode on this. Uh, what do you think? You think we can do a full episode on this one? Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. yeah, for sure. We can go over so many there's so much detail to go over in this. Yeah. So we're going to come back to this story in the future. But for now, maybe we'll end on how uh, Schmidt, in a way, seems to agree with Matt, or you're both thinking in the same directions. At the time of recording, right now in 2021, like 11,000 plus years after this stuff was originally built, uh, we still don't know exactly what it was for which means your guess is as good as ours. And Paul is right that this has not been fully excavated. Schmidt himself has a theory. You see, his team has found fragments of human bone in the structure over the years of excavations. And because the floors of the rings have been shown to be made of hardened limestone in deep test pits, he's betting that if they keep digging, they'll find that Gobekli Tepe's was a final resting place for a society of hunters. So this was a burial ground. Here's what he specifically says. I'm quoting from Smithsonian here. He says, perhaps the site was a burial ground or the center of a death cult. The dead laid out on the hillside amongst the stylized gods and spirits of the afterlife. And if that's true, Schmidt says, that also explains the weird location because now the dead are they have a wonderful view, basically, looking out over uh, the hunting grounds. We're going we're gonna to leave it there. We're going to come back in the future uh, with more from Schmidt. We'd like to hear your guesses about Gobekli Tepesh. Uh, bonus points if they're super out there. And with that, we're going to take a quick break here, hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we're back. And now, due to our apparently newfound fandom of linear time, we're going to travel closer to the modern day. Yes, that's right. Almost to modern day. We're going to jump to an email from someone calling themselves Darth Brigham. Darth says, well, guys, your listener mail from 514 talked about how insecure and susceptible to abuse criminal records are. And there's a great example of that where I live, Provo, Utah. Provo is home to Brigham Young University, or BYU, a private religious institution run by the Mormon Church. Nearly all of its 35,000 students are members of that church, and they receive a heavily subsidized education. And some reports put the cost at three to four times what they pay. Yeah, just for a a snapshot reference here, uh, the... For the year 2020 to 2021, uh, undergraduate tuition and fees were $5,970, which is— Per semester? uh, No. Looks like the total, the whole year. Wow. Talk about subsidized, huh? I I think what we're saying is we see where you're coming from, Darth. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Okay. That's like— did we mess up? <laughs> yeah. Did we mess up when we went to college? I had hope scholarship and I, okay. Wow. All right. Um, nice. N- now we know. Well, let's go on with what Darth is saying here. Perhaps because of how much it pays, the Mormon church has a strict code of conduct for its students. No drugs, drinking, smoking, coffee, sex, things close to sex, Things a little bit farther from sex, homosexual actions of any kind, revealing clothes, porn, and other things. You cannot even go to the house of a member of the opposite sex after midnight, and men must be clean-shaven. Now, this code of conduct is what we're really going to be talking about today, so just put a pin in all of that. Uh, What Darth is saying here is very accurate. Let's continue. Penalties for violating this code range from probation and writing essays to expulsion. The office that monitors this is the Honor Code Office. The event I'm going to tell you about has caused some good changes. Before it, anyone could report you anonymously to the Honor Code Office, and the HCO would not always tell you why you were called in. And sexual assaults sometimes resulted in the victim being punished for violating some of the lesser rules. So the victim oh, wow. would be punished wow. for violating lesser rules. Uh, thankfully, Darth doesn't think they were ever blamed for being assaulted, but they were blamed for consensual things that led up to it. So like maybe you were drinking at a house party. Yeah, or you were even at a house of the opposite sex at a, you know, past a certain time, right? Um who, who knows? We don't have the specific details there, and those that is what Darth is writing to us saying. Darth says, Nowadays, there are no more anonymous reports. Victims of assault get immunity, and the Honor Code Office tells you why you are there to speak with them, I guess, when they call you in. So, there's more to this. I'm going to keep going because it's worth us hearing, I guess, first before we have a discussion. So, here we go. In Utah, universities have their own police force. This is very important. Keep this in mind. With all the powers of a typical police officer, Brigham Young University has its own police force. 
And in 2016, someone at a neighboring police force noticed the BYU police accessing the police report database much more often than their counterparts in other agencies. There were at least 6,000 records accessed between 2014 and 2016. These records were for police reports in the cities and counties surrounding Brigham Young University. So just to recap there, someone at the BYU police is accessing this wider database a lot in 2014-2016. The BYU police had been scanning reports looking for students' names and in many cases sharing the information with the Honor Code office. These were not convictions for crimes. These were just situations where part of the code of conduct had been violated. In one case, a rape victim had the results of her medical examination gleaned from the police report and given to the Honor Code office. She was subsequently forbidden from enrolling in future classes until she submitted to an investigation despite the objections of the county prosecutor who who asked BYU to at least wait until the trial was over. It's chilling to think how many other times the Honor Code office received information it used to punish students. Like I said, thankfully things have changed. A new Title IX office supports victims. The police no longer share information with the Honor Code office, and the Honor Code office has a new director. But this does show the damage that can come from unfettered access to police information. And then Darth left us a link for a 2019 story uh, for further reading on our part. And I guess that's what we can talk about next. But Ben, what, what are your thoughts after all of that? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's indicative, unfortunately, of a larger problem with reporting of crime to campus police forces. You know, there, there are unfortunately no shortage of examples of times where victims of an assault have been stonewalled or shut down at various institutions and some quite prestigious. Uh, we also know that when there's not oversight for this kind of stuff, uh, they, that's the question. Like for a long time, it wasn't technically illegal, right, for the BYU campus police to do this. But it is incredibly dangerous because there's not a way of knowing the true motivations for that search. There aren't requirements like the qualification requirements for being able to search this system are just, are you BYU police? It's not, are you BYU police looking up a conviction or, you know, following up on a um, on a case in a way that helps the victim? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, sure, exactly. You're not, you're not investigating on behalf of someone in right. that way, or at least you are, but it's on behalf of, I guess, the honor code office. Right, and, you know, often... We have, like, we have to remember for this is not hyperbolic, I believe, but we we have to remember that for many people in these situations, this is the worst moment or experience of their life up to that point, you know. And the authorities or the structure that is put in place to ensure their safety, um, it, it it feels like an absolute subversion for that same power structure to appear to be persecuting you. You know what I mean? And and because of because of that, because of the trauma that many survivors of assaults especially experience, there's already often going to be some internal pressure, some familial pressure not to pursue justice. As sad as that is to say, as heartbreaking as it is to say, and then coupled with secular pressure, coupled with religious pressure, coupled with campus pressure, it stacks the odds against these victims. I, I think you and I are on the same page with Darth and a lot of our listeners. This is a horrific thing. Absolutely. So really, we're just talking, it feels like overstep. And it is overstep because there was a whole investigation into this one police officer's use of these records. It was one lieutenant, right, who, who was accessing records for a long time uh, over the course of those years, 2014, 2016. His name is Aaron Rhodes, 
and there was a criminal investigation that was looking into him. And (laughs) at least when this report was written by the Salt Lake Tribune in 2019, there was discussion about removing the police force from BYU entirely because of the essentially abuse of power here or misuse of these records. It says that he was looking at reports for, from the Orem police, the Utah County Sheriff's Office, and the Provo police. So like, like we said, or like uh, Darth said, all the surrounding areas, basically, all of those law enforcement offices. He took information from the report and shared them with the Dean of Students Office, the Title IX office, and the Honor Code office. So he was literally taking that information and just funneling it through the entire university system. And because that Honor Code exists... Because there are direct consequences related to that honor code, not only would somebody who's, you know, maybe did do something wrong and had a police report written about them or at least violated some, you know, statute in one of these places, um, they are now not only going to get punished by that law enforcement agency, they're going to get punished by their school, which does feel very weird. Yes. Yeah. Hard agree there. Um The issue is that while the solutions may seem apparent to people on the outside, uh, they don't – they – I guess they're not as apparent for the people who are participating in these power structures, you know. Uh, And the most – like the most extreme Hollywood version of this uh, is also unfortunately – uh, a true story at times, and this extreme version is a narrative something like this: a student, you know, whatever whatever gender they are or identify as, is uh, sexually assaulted by a, another student who is a legacy student, right? Or perhaps a very prominent instructor or professor of some sort, um, or you know, a very promising athlete or something. And then let's take like the the most Hollywood version of the villain in this case would be the very wealthy legacy student. And by legacy student, we mean someone who primarily got into an academic institution because of their parents' financial contributions and because their parents had gone there in the past. You know what I mean? It's like the kid, the kid who has the same last name as the library or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's someone where it would where just the fact that this person had gotten into trouble could be a public relations issue for the school itself, right? I think I think that's where we're going. Exactly. So then uh, a class argument would enter in there and they would say, hey, we need to resolve this quietly for the good name of the school. And also part of the motivation that's implied there is we would really like the Farfignugan family or whomever – Von Farfignugan, let's make him fancier. They sure. would like the Von Farfignugan family to continue donating to our oboe program or whatever. And this, the reason I'm picking these kind of ridiculous and specific examples is because I do think it is specifically ridiculous, indeed inhuman, to put somebody's physical and mental well-being beneath something as in the long run inconsequential as a building or a donation, especially in these very renowned institutions whose endowments are mind-boggling. They're not hurting for money. They want the prestige, but I don't think you should sacrifice human beings to do it. I, I want to pivot here just quickly to hear a quote from this article from S. Daniel Carter, who's the president of Safety Advisors for Educational Campuses, LLC. Again, it's from that Salt Lake Tribune article from 2019. Um, S. Daniel Carter says, It is common for institutions to use their campus police to also serve as security and enforce institutional policies. But use of police access to effectively spy on students to enforce non-criminal codes of conduct in this manner is unconscionable. In doing so here, a private entity would be using the power of the state to affect their own religious rules, something with potentially significant ramifications. That's definitely the way I'm feeling about it personally when I think about this, especially in that one assault case where the lieutenant uh, that we mentioned earlier immediately went and looked up, looked up uh, in like full details on a rape case. And sent it to the honor code office. And it was 
about the victim, like very intimate details about it. That's really wrong. Um, well, hey, this is something we can definitely look more into. If you've ever been to Brigham Young University, if you've been on the police force there, or a student there, or faculty, uh, maybe you've been on that board. You probably wouldn't write to us if you've been on the code of conduct board. But, uh, you know, we'd love to hear your experience, what this is like. If you're a member of the Mormon church, we'd love to hear what you think about that code of conduct. Is it a great thing? A terrible thing? Is it just standard? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So please uh, contact us in between the moment where we leave right now and get back. You ready? We'll be right back with some more listener mail. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we've returned. As uh, as I've noted off air, it is, in a way, always Halloween in America, which <laughs> means that it is never, uh, it is never too soon to celebrate. Uh, and we—it's because we all wear masks, man, all the time. Oh, uh, before the pandemic, I wrote a poem about this. I feel so embarrassed saying this. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to share it, but maybe one day. You know? I'm talking metaphysical, man. Like, what? Do, who are you right now? Even you know, right? mask off. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, terrible poetry aside, uh, and you can always message me if you want to subject yourself to reading some of it. Uh, one thing that I think, Matt, you and I have both really been enjoying were the various stories we've been receiving from our fellow listeners about haunted objects. And so uh, what we thought we would do today is share and share a story that really captured us that we both super enjoyed. And we thought uh, you would like to hear it too. So we're going to we're going to read this as a letter, uh, pretty much in full, and uh, Matt and I are going to trade off at certain times. Uh, so, here we go. This is from Tabitha H. 
Tabitha says, hi, guys, gals, and any non-binary pals who may be interested. Uh, sorry, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Love the rhyming scheme already. It rhymes. Yes, this is a very talented writer. We should be honest about that from the get-go. Tabitha, you say, so I heard you give another call for writing in about haunted objects while catching up on my pod list today, and I decided I might as well tell you about my experience. Not necessarily haunted, question mark. I'm not sure what to classify it as, but it's definitely something I have yet to find an explanation for. So interesting, nonetheless. As the pandemic was really starting to ramp up last year, I bought a few different handmade cotton masks just to have a few on hand. One of them was a print of lady scientists doing sciencey things. And I love science, and especially science ladies, so it was my favorite one. One day I went to look for it, and it wasn't there. I had a dedicated basket by the door for a few different masks. I like variety, so I knew where it ought to be, but it wasn't. It hadn't fallen to the floor. Checked my purse, emptied it completely, nothing. Maybe I left it in a jeans pocket. Nope. Dropped it in the car. Nowhere. I looked for two weeks, as did my partner, before giving up. Deciding it must just have gone. It had fallen out into a parking space or something, who knew. I ordered a new one because I loved the print, so I still wanted it. It came. I wore it. Everything proceeded as normal. Though I was still kind of bummed, I have to admit. About a month or so after getting the new one, I was visiting my mom to drop something off for her, so I took my new lady scientist mask and put it in my purse to wear for that. Dropped off the thing, headed back toward home, decided to get a coffee, put the lady scientist mask back on, went in to get my coffee, and came back out. I went to take off my mask and put it in my purse, like I literally always do, which is why I didn't know how I could have lost the first one. Except, it's already in my purse. Right on top of everything. Not hidden in the depths or whatever, but extremely visible. I'm like, wait, did I wear a different mask to go in and get coffee? So I look at the one in my hand. It's the same mask. There are two. One just removed, my new one, and one sitting on top of everything in my purse, the old one. They did have a slightly different fit, so I could distinguish them, but it doesn't really matter. Just the fact that there were suddenly two. The first one literally appeared out of absolutely nowhere. I had, in fact, worn the second one in to get coffee and to my mom's. I had gotten in and out of my purse several times over the course of the trip to get my keys, my phone, mask in, out, etc. I had carried my purse in to get coffee with me. I put my phone in my purse before I got out of the car. So I certainly would have seen the first mask sitting in the way had it been there when I did that. Obviously, it was not. And then it was. I'm a huge skeptic. Even if you guys sounded like you might be getting into a theory, I scoff. And I explain it away. Especially when it comes to haunted objects or incidents exactly like this. I'm of the mind that there is always a rational explanation if you look at something hard enough. But I have yet to find one for this. Several months later, even my partner, a bigger skeptic than me, can't find one. I have no idea what happened, and it doesn't particularly seem haunted. There was nothing nefarious about it, and I was pleased to have my mask back. And yes, I did wash it immediately. <laughs> so I don't know if I caught the eye of a benevolent deity or if the fae uh, somehow trapped me with it or what. But I honestly have zero rational explanation for this even now. Anyway... After hearing about this blue ball thing, it seemed like it was time to share. I hope you guys enjoyed. I doubt this is interesting enough to talk about on air, but if you do, please just use my first name. Thanks. Love the show. Tabitha. So, first off, thank you for letting us indulge ourselves in some dramatic readings. Uh, Matt, I think you <laughs> both have a lot of fun with that. I think it's more interesting when we have it back and forth than just listening to one person. You know what I mean? I but, think so, too. Yeah, but the uh, the the thing that I thought was um, that the only thing I disagree with you about Tabitha, and I think Matt, you might back me up here, is that this is interesting enough to read on air because I don't know about you all, but I've always I have often had those situations where things seem to disappear and reappear, and all you know, 
frequently I can explain that by saying, uh, like I'm an absent-minded professor type or whatever, you know, I lose things that aren't tied to me. Uh, but there are things that I, you know, I can't, I can't explain how something has disappeared or resurfaced. And in a way it's, it's similar to that story about the allegedly haunted blue ball. And I wanted to ask you, Matt, have you ever had a situation like that in your life where you've, you've, you've had a thing and your thing always goes, you know, everything in its right place kind of style. Your thing always goes in that spot. Uh, like a lot of people do that with wallets, keys, phones, et cetera, mm -hmm. only to find that object disappear and then to maybe have it resurface. I, I don't know. How would you explain it? Maybe it's a little different for you because you have a kid, right, who might, you know, take something and play with it and then put it back later, something like that. Oh, put it back later. Yeah, right. He <laughs> sneaks in here while I'm recording. Sometimes you can't see everything that's going on in this shelf. And for a while I had some – some dice down there and I had some other magic cards. There's most of them up there, but he would sneak in here sometimes. I'm not even noticing and he'll take something, but he won't put it back. No, no, no. He stores it away like some dragon in his horde that he's got. <laughs> and, he, and I won't find it for months. Uh, but, but no, that's not what we're talking about. I have a series. I have had a series of gas station sunglasses. I don't know if anybody's ever purchased sunglasses at a random gas station, but this guy does it all the time because I will have one that I love. I'm like, man, I love the style of these gas station sunglasses and I'll wear them all the time. Every time I drive, when I'm at the house, if I'm mowing the lawn, I'm the cool gas station shades guy. You well, had an aviator phase. I remember <laughs> that. You had to have the those aviators. Are, those are still the ones I'm rocking because they've stuck around for the longest time. All the other ones leave for a while. And I would say 40 to 50% of them come back somehow. And I'll just rediscover them. Um, also, my son could be a fault here because he loves sunglasses. Sometimes I catch him wearing mine. I think we may hmm. have solved at least this example of this mystery. You know, I think one thing this leads us to, like one of the big psychological aspects is we are all unreliable narrators of our own lives and our own past, you know, so uh, the human mind is fallible. But I was talking to people um, about stories like this before we were recording today, and I was startled to find that almost everybody had maybe not a story where they thought it was a haunted object or some kind of weird teleportation or something like that. Uh, they seemed more inclined to even the most skeptical, just say, huh, my keys were there. They weren't. Now they're back. Do my keys have a secret life? You know, I like vacation. Did my keys take vacation? Right? It's, Definitely. Uh, Tabitha yeah. would say, no. Absolutely right. not. <laughs> and a lot of our skeptics in the crowd would say, yeah, people are just people are just maybe not giving their ability to be absent-minded as much credit as it deserves. But with that in mind, I would love to hear other people's stories of objects that have inexplicably disappeared and reappeared, especially – this is something – it doesn't happen all the time, but there have been people that I've heard from who are – uh, correlating this with some important event in their life, you know, mm. like a relative dies, then they hear about this the day they find this significant object that they had treasured, things like that. Um, and how much of that is the human mind creating patterns where they do not necessarily exist? Or is there something more to the story? Last note, apologies to everybody. It's Gobekli Tepe. Nope, it's Gobekli Tepe. <laughs> nope, I'm just joking. Gilbert Gottfried. That's how it's pronounced. He is named after that site, uh, and we will confirm it with him. I I can't, I can't get Daniken von Daniken out of my head. I, I uh, you'll just have to watch a clip online if you don't know what I'm talking about. Von Daniken always says, "Oh, go back, go back, tepe. Oh. <laughs> and there's an interesting study about how people in the Anglosphere tend to assume someone is more authoritative if they have specific – not all, but specific types of European accents and British accents especially. 
So if you're ever watching one of those shows and you're wondering, why did they pick somebody with this accent to do this? Then just pay extra special attention to what they're actually saying. Don't let the accent fool you. Don't let Daniel Radcliffe get one over on you just because he's got that awesome accent. Yeah. (laughs) Or Michael Caine. I mean, that guy would kill it selling timeshares. Oh, yeah, man. Idris. Idris Elba. That's another one. And uh, what better way to end the show? Please let us know what you think about Gobekli Tepe, a.k.a. pronounced Gilbert Gottfried. Please let (laughs) us know. Please let us know if you have had experiences with the problems we're talking about, about campus prosecutions and sometimes uh, how those forces may be used to cover up crimes. And uh, please let us know uh, your stories of objects that appear to go missing and reappear of their own volition. You think there's anything to it? You think people are just forgetting what they've done? How do you explain it? We want to know and we endeavor to be very easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Pretty simple. You can find us on YouTube at Conspiracy Stuff. Or you can search stuff they don't want you to know, depending on where you are in the world and uh, what you search for. So because it was uh, because it was the dynamic duo today, we had planned on uh, see if we could make a shorter episode. And and make two episodes so we'd have more episodes for you. And uh, Paul Mission Control Deccant being far nicer than he has any right to be said, well, you know, guys, in the past you have you tried. You would make something short. And uh, so I just had to send a message to Mission Control and say, uh, damn it, you were right. Look, man, you get us to talking and if we haven't seen each other in like 24 hours, then uh, sorry, this is going to happen. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> Mission Control Deccant. <laughs> Controller of all things on this show. So, <laughs> so uh, we, we, we did our best, but we, we have really enjoyed these stories of haunted objects and paranormal encounters. If you would like to hear more of them from your fellow listeners, uh, please let us know that as well. And, of course, if you hate social media, if you think that's the real ghost that will haunt us for generations to come, a viewpoint that I happen to agree with, uh, then no worries. You can always call us directly because, Matt, we have a phone number. That's right. Call us 1-833-STDWYTK. You'll hear Ben, and then you can leave a three-minute message. That is the maximum. We ask that you please don't call multiple times. That'll just help us out. Just that way we can hear everybody's messages. Tell us what you would like for us to call you. doesn't have to be your real name. It can be anything. It can be Darth Deccant. Hey, that'd be fun. Oh, yeah. uh, we'd read that on air for sure. Mm. Paul would love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. But yeah, tell us what you want us to call you. Let us know if we can use your message on air and your voice. That would be great. And uh, right up front, like say exactly the thing that you want us to read on air. And if you've got a personal message, you can put that on the tail end of it. If you want to get a lady scientist mask, which is described on Etsy as a science teacher face mask. You can find it. Look up You Got It Made by Jaw, J-A, Nick, N-I-C-K. You can find it, the exact one that Tabitha mentioned. You can get yours today. (laughs) And my dog, as always, appreciate. Yep, really just appreciates Etsy and all that they do. I'm telling you, Matt... Uh, if you want that little boost, I don't know if this made it on air last time, but if you want that little boost when you hear a dog barking, and you're, uh, just general you, uh, instead of feeling like they're yelling at you, just tell yourselves that they're laughing with you, that you just said oh. something hilarious, and they're like, yes, get into stand-up. Yeah, maybe that's it. I think it's more of a, um, hey, Matt. Matt. <laughs> Matt, what are you doing? I hear you talking. Matt. This dog is so confused right now. <laughs> Dogs do not like getting barked at. What was that? Okay. That was, my wife says that was accurate. Okay, we're going to end this now. Good God. Sorry, everybody. Um, that's our phone number. If you've got a message that you feel is too long to fit into three minutes, we highly recommend that you send us an email. Oh, it's so great to send off that email. Not quite as satisfying as you know shipping off an actual typed or printed letter but it's very close 
Our email address is conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.